Hello, welcome to Gabbing with Librarians. I do believe that libraries will be more important than ever. But it's still a problematic scene, and it's best to look and judge and discuss. Well, that really was one of the things that appealed to me and kind of attracted me to the show. I think it's also opened up a lot of doors. Publishing industry as itself is continues to get smaller and smaller. With need to battle that misinformation, they're going to come to a library. Hello, welcome to Gabbing with Librarians. I am your host, Jennifer Finch, from the Spring Branch Memorial Branch. And I am here with Darcy Casavant from our Collection Development Department. Hello. And Rebecca Trent from our Kingwood Branch. Hello, hello. Today we're going to talk about our favorite women in history. If you're interested in learning more about the women we talk about today, check out the attached sources. Two of the women we are discussing are very grounded in history, and if some of the facts are lost to time. One of our women is couched in legend and mystery. I'll let Darcy get started in, on telling you about this legendary warrior. Okay, so. Her name is Boudicca, and the first time I learned about Boudicca was actually from a British made-for-TV movie called Boudicca Warrior Queen, and it starred Alex Kingston. And she really is, her story is really comparative to King Arthur in a lot of ways. From various Roman sources, we get that um, when Britain was occupied by the Roman Empire, her husband, uh, King Prastigus, of the Iceni tribe, he had a lot of wealth amassed, and he was going to walk that fine line of diplomacy with with Rome by saying, "Okay, when I die, I'm going to include the Roman emperor as one of my heirs, along with my two daughters, because it was not uncommon that the heirship would go to women." Rome was not cool with that. They, when the king died. Normally, Boudicca would have taken over, taken over the throne, and then, oh, then her two daughters. Well, no, they came riding in and they seized all the property, publicly hurt her daughters in front of everything, publicly flogged Boudicca, thinking like, okay, so now you understand who's in charge. But Boudicca was not one of those women who was quiet about it, and she started talking with the different tribes as well as her own, and they united and named her leader. And so she led her army, which was these gathered united tribes, from what's now Norfolk, and it, it threw, killed 70,000 Roman soldiers and occupants along the way burned down three cities, including um, Londinium, which is now our modern London. And when she was finally defeated, it was more with Roman strategy than numbers. But it was she had led an army that cleared out just a whole bunch of of the occupiers. And it wasn't not long after her rebellion that. Rome kind of gave up on Britain. So she's kind of like, as a legend, um, there's lots of statues up of her and her daughters. And as a legend, she's kind of like this, her name implies the name Victory. And she, and she's just, she's kind of a symbol of freedom against tyranny, that sort of thing. And oddly enough, we liked the story so much from the movie that after doing some research, it's one of my daughter's middle names. <laughs> So that's why I love Boudicca. Wow! <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. I had heard a little bit about Boudicca before, 
And I've even heard some, you know, some legends that you read actually insert some fantasy elements as well. Oh, yeah. So she's one of the more fun women to learn about. And I just love that she's there as this really strong warrior woman that basically defeated the Roman army. Now, Rebecca, the woman you are going to present is also a warrior, if in a very different way. And she's much more recent. Could you please tell us about Shirley Tism? Oh, most definitely. Shirley Anita Chisholm was the first black woman in Congress in 1968, and she spent seven terms in the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives, and she was also the first black woman to run for president of the United States in 1972. Whoa. So she was she was knocking down some walls just because they were there, kind of. She was one of those kind of gals that had the guts to, you know, why not go for it? Like when she graduated in college, she was really great on the debate team, but everybody was telling her, you know, oh, well, if you're so great in debate, why don't you go into politics? And she said, well, I'm faced with what you could call a double handicap, being both black and female during that time, because, you know, for, you know, when it came to politics, because it was such a man's game. But, you know, she earned her master's degree from Columbia and she had that in childhood education. So everybody was, you know, pretty calm and OK with that. When she joined the local chapters of the Urban League of Women Voters and the NAACP, she sought a seat in Congress in 1968. So they started, they actually started calling her Fighting Shirley because she introduced 50 different pieces of legislation that uh, championed legal and gender equality as well as publicly bringing to mind uh, about the plights of the poor and uh, ending the Vietnam War. And she was the co-founder of the National Black Caucus of the National Women's Political Caucus in 1971. And she became the first Black woman and the second woman ever to serve on the House Rules Committee. So you got to love women like that because she knew even as she was doing it that she had the opportunity to be a catalyst for change and make that difference where everyone had always told, you know, they, they still tell kids that now anybody can be president, but she decided to challenge those rules by saying, well, if anyone can be president, I'd like to be president. And she ran on the democratic ticket. Yeah, she was definitely an amazing woman. And honestly, we owe her a huge debt. Um, like every powerful woman that's come after her in politics, probably owes her a debt of gratitude and honestly she's not talked about enough oh most definitely i feel like the discrimination that she faced she was quoted with saying that she faced more discrimination being a woman than she did being black just because so many people didn't believe that a woman could be president of the united states and i mean look at where we are now with vice president kamala harris she's She's the vice president of the United States. So if she can go that far, I mean, why can't we go further, you know? I agree. Now, the woman I am going to talk about, she did not, she was kind of born into power. Her name is Eleanor of Aquitaine, and she was the heir to the Duchy of Aquitaine in France. This gave her a great deal of power. She owned more land than the king of France at the time. So when her father died, when she was 15, she became immediately a guard of the crown. So the king became her guardian. And he's like, well, you know what I'm going to do? You're going to marry my son. And she really didn't have a choice. So at 15, she was married to Louis, who would become Louis VII. And he was the second son of Louis VI, who was also known as Louis the Fat. But 
his older brother died, and so, oh, so he lost it. <laughs> it's okay. It's Louis the Fat. It's worth. Yeah. It's worth a laugh. <laughs> but no, Louis the Seventh actually had been training to go into the church, so he was very, very pious and very traditional, very conservative. And Aquitaine, which was a region in the southern area of France, was very progressive. She was very educated, but especially for her time, even as a noblewoman, she had more education than most noble women of the time. And she also was the Duchess. It was her land. She was able to inherit it. And she was a big proponent of the arts, troubadours. Her grandfather was actually known as the troubadour because he was such a large patron of the arts. And so she helped fund books and things being written later. But the marriage did not work very well because they were very, very different people. She was very progressive and he was very conservative. They were married for 15 years and they had two daughters. During that time, they did go on a crusade together, which failed miserably, but not because of her, but because of him. She did go to the, on the crusade and she was shown as being strong and they thought she was a good leader and Louis VII was everything but. After the second time, they asked for an annulment from the Pope. He did grant it because they'd had two daughters and Louis needed an heir. It, they were The marriage was annulled on the basis of that they were cousins of like eighth cousins or something. So they just made up an excuse so they could dissolve the marriage because divorce wasn't a thing yet. But because she was so powerful, because she had this duchy, she was under threat of kidnap because people wanted them her to marry them. And after someone did try to kidnap her, she either sent a letter as asking for Henry of Normandy to marry her. He was the Duke of Normandy to marry her, or he forced her to marry him. There's a little bit of debate. This is one of those facts that's been lost to time. So we don't know the entire circumstances of her marrying Henry, the man who became Henry II of England. So here she is. She just no longer the Queen of France. She's back to being Duchess of Aquitaine. And then she marries the Duke of Normandy, who then becomes King Henry II of England. Now, King Henry II might sound familiar because he and Eleanor were, then had eight children. She was 30 when she married Henry, and she had eight children with him, the most famous of which were Richard and John. So Eleanor was the mother of King Richard and King John. And she was involved in a rebellion that Richard and several of his older brothers and one of his older brothers, Geoffrey, were involved in against their father. And she was then imprisoned by Henry until he died. When Richard became king, she acted as a co-regent with John while Richard was away on the Crusades and did a fairly decent job of running the country, even if John did not. So when John became king. She retired mainly to France, but was still very powerful and influential in that time period. Uh, she died at the age of 82, which in the Middle Ages is an extremely long life. She outlived pretty much all of her children. She's very well thought of today. History is still forgiving her for some things. There was a rumor that she had murdered a mistress of Henry II, but it turned out that History has been proven wrong, and the mistress died of gold poisoning because they ate gold at the time, and so it wasn't Eleanor. It's, lots of things like that happened. But while she was imprisoned, she actually helped popularize the Arthurian legends and helped fund some of the writing of the more popular versions of the Arthur legends. 
to help make the histories of England more interesting. She has had a huge cultural influence on us today. Even if you go to the movie and play The Lion Winter, where Eleanor was portrayed by Catherine Hepburn, I wish more people knew about her because still a lot of people don't. If you have a kid, there's a how I got introduced to Eleanor was a book called A Proud Taste of for Scarlet and Miniver by E.L. Konigsberg, the, the author who wrote The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler. That's how I got introduced in the seventh grade by my teacher making us all read that. I love Eleanor because she was so strong and she was so influential and so educated and she helped push arts forward and had such an influence over that is still reverberating to this day. Almost a thousand years later, she's still known. She still has an influence over our culture because who can deny the influence the Arthurian legends have over us? And also just the fact that she raised Richard and John. And honestly, she helped promote Richard's legend. So he's known as a great king when actually he was actually a pretty terrible king. But he's known as a great king due in a large part to Eleanor pushing him forward and putting him on coins and making him popular with the people of England. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go into the legends and you never know what's actually behind them. And one of them is, in fact, that Richard was Eleanor's favorite. Lion in Winter is like my one of my favorite movies. Absolutely favorite movies. It's just like if you want banter, that's one to watch. (laughs) Well, even when and and that's the thing, even when Eleanor was uh, imprisoned and house arrest, Henry took care of her. He sent clothes. He sent her books. He made sure she was entertained. He did let her go to France to visit her daughters. When we think of a house arrest today, it's like you can't leave this one space. He basically just kept her away from his son so that she couldn't help incite a rebellion again. But otherwise, he, you know, he didn't put lock her up in a jail or anything. He, He took care of her. So there was affection between the two, to the extent of which we don't know, because honestly, we don't have a lot of writings that happened, you know, from them during that time period. It's just gotten lost to time. But the legends are still there. Otherwise, we wouldn't have movies such as The Lion in Winter. What else is it about these women that appeals to us? I mean, why do these three particular women appeal to us? Well, the obvious, I feel, is always that they made history. You know, we're still we're still talking about them now, long after, you know, their stories have been told. And just us being librarians, you know, it's it's all about keeping and recording our own chapters. And for all of their influence, they've, you know, had that that their names live on in our lives just from the actions that they took. You know, Darcy was saying how she's got a, a, a daughter with a middle name that shares this influential <laughs> lady in her life. And, you know, we we know more about them and we, we build on we stand on their shoulders to reach higher heights, you know. It's it's strange. I have in my office, um, I call it my strong women power corner. And it has people like Wonder Woman and Princess Leia. But it also has like the women who worked in NASA from the Legos kits. And it's like, now I have to go find Shirley Chisholm to go yeah. put in my woman corner. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I'm on the hunt now. <laughs> <laughs> Ever being the book writer, I have a. I have a composition book here of uh, like all of the women that I, you know, enjoy following the their life stories mm-hmm. of, you know, like Bessie Coleman decided to, you know, take a motorcycle across the United States. And that's amazing. And Mae Jemsen was the first black woman in space. And it's like, 
all of these women were just, they didn't say, oh, well, you know what? I think I'm going to make history today. They just did these things. And it's it's amazing how they those stories still reverberate with you now. Maybe. Jemson's in my in my uh, woman corner. <laughs> hey, all right, I love this. <laughs> but if I look at your book, I don't have enough. I don't have enough desk space. <laughs> well, it is volume seventeen, so. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh my goodness, this cool person did this, you know. But her um, her her autobiography is in our library. It's called Unbought and Unbossed. And it's one of the books that I said, oh, I must have this for my own personal library just to read about all that she went through with like being like being a part of the Black Caucus. The men that were a part of the Black Caucus in New York all pushed and pushed legislation to make sure that she didn't have any public appearances and like give public speeches. Being the savvy lawyer that she is, she sued them and said, no, if my candidate and my opponent gets to give speeches, I should, too. So it shouldn't matter that I'm female, it should just matter what I have to say. And so you you see people throughout history playing with the law and trying to manipulate it to form their belief systems. And here she is trying to keep him on the straight and narrow saying, no, if it works for men, it'll work for women too. We, we, both, we have something to say. So she's quoted as saying, I'm proud to be a woman and I'm proud to be black, but I'm not standing before you as a representative of the female community. Or the black community, I'm stand, I'm standing here before you as a candidate of the people, and that's why I want you to vote for me. Yeah, um, I, I've been sitting here trying to remember the name of another woman, and she's extremely famous, and she's an activist, and she also was a journalist and wrote, a, and she recently did a had a movie based on her, and I watched it, and I hadn't realized everything she did. She now I can't remember her name, <laughs> Gloria Steinem. <laughs> Gloria Steinem, yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, I recently watched her movie recently, and you know, a lot's been done about her having done the Playboy article where she uh, went undercover as a Playboy bunny and exposed them for all the horrible conditions that the women went through during that time Mm -hmm. period. She, you know, exposed them, and then she was like, "I don't want to be known as just the Playboy bunny writer." And so then she became an activist. And what I didn't know is, you know, because for my entire life, she's been an activist and a speaker. And, you know, I've heard her speak in different things. She had incredible stage fright and had to be taught how to get past that and how to be able to be a speaker. She was apparently terrible when she first started. Oh, wow. And she got to know all these really amazing women that I had never heard of before I watched this movie. The first female chief of a Native American tribe, whom, again, my brain is failing me. I can't remember her name. And all these incredible women that we don't learn about in history. Mm -hmm. And I really, I want to know more about these women. And I think one of the reasons why I like doing things like this, where we just talk about, we pick a woman and we talk about them, is the fact that we learn about these women. There's a reason why there's been an emphasis on, you know, her story, it kind of sounds cheesy, but that's because when we learn about history in school, the focus is on the men. They will occasionally mention a woman, but the majority of time, it's just not, at least in the past when the three of us have been in school, it wasn't taught in schools. So we've had to find these women on our own. I had that really great teacher that she would combine, it was, she was my history and English teacher. So she had us read a proud taste of um, Scarlet and Miniver 
when we were learning about the Middle Ages in our history class. So she kind of combined the classes and it introduced a whole new world to me. And I must have done three or four reports throughout history after that in my history classes and, you know, about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Anytime I had to do a report, I would do it on Eleanor of Aquitaine. I'd just pull out Eleanor and I'd find new sources and I'd learn more about her. I mean, even up into college, I would do reports on her and more research on her. Today, I'm still learning more about her, especially as history gets looked at again. Well, before, before I want to just clarify, because you were talking about seeing the movie on Gloria Steinem. Yes. Correct me if I am wrong, but wasn't she the one who brought back Wonder Woman in her original costume because they tried to make her all super spy? And I may be making that up. I may be, it was another, it was another feminist from that time, but I, I want to say it was Gloria Steinem. I don't know. I remember at one point about 10 years ago, Wonder Woman got pants and she wasn't like a spy, but they, they just, they changed her outfit yeah. to being more. And I honestly liked the costume. To me, it seemed more practical. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and it was a female, it was a female writer and illustrator that did it. And, but it got such protest by a certain demographic of DC's fans whom they cater to. <laughs> but in the 70s, one of the things that they did is they kind of, they they took away the whole costume, bustier, all that kind of stuff, and put her in, made her like a super spy, so she didn't have any superpowers, and she was dressed all, all mod, which was okay, but... It was a feminist who said, you know what, you are taking away a symbol for us. Yes. So I demand that you put back this, the symbolism oh. of the character. Oh, I believe so it was. So that we can all turn back. I definitely believe it was Gloria Steinem. <laughs> I don't know that it was, but I was honestly, I grew up with a Marvel fan. So I don't <laughs> know the history of Wonder Woman as much as I'd say. I wish I could. I, my uh, feminist female hero was She-Hulk who is oh, a yeah. seven-foot-tall green lawyer who wears a bathing suit when she's superhero, but it usually goes under her suit so she can go from being a lawyer to being the superhero. And the, her costume was practical because she went, she just had to have something on that was under her lawyer suits. I and love so She-Hulk. <laughs> and so she was my... She was my hero, you know, my superhero. I also liked Scarlet Witch, and Scarlet Witch came into the MC, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was like squeeing so loud. And then when I found out She Hulk was going to get a TV series with Tatiana Maslany, who was going to be oh starring, I have been so excited about that. So, yeah, I mean, these women in history, I think. We need to learn more about these women in history in schools. And that's why we like doing things like this, because we have these symbols and we need more. Mm -hmm. We need more for the girls. There is a website called Mighty Girls, if you're not familiar with it. And they, Oh, I love that. I get their newsletter. I get their newsletter as well. And they talk about different women and they attach books. So if you've never heard of a Mighty Girl website and you want to learn more about women you want to have books that you can use to introduce these women to your daughters or your sons because it's important that uh, everybody learns about these women that they are as equally important to our history as the men then a mighty girl is a great place to do that and they have a lot of great resources on their website that's completely free 
Well, that's all we have for today. Next month, we'll be talking about our favorite poets or poems. Email your thoughts to podcast.hcpl.net to join the discussion. Thank you so much to Darcy and Rebecca for being here with me. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next month. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you to Darcy and Rachel for a wonderful discussion. Next month, we'll be talking about our favorite poems and poets. If you would like to join the discussion, please email podcast at hcpl.net. Don't forget to check out Marches Using Our Library Voices, where we discuss more women making history. We'll be back with them next month, but until then, thank you for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends, and if you feel like it, give us a rating. You can listen to more Using Our Library Voices and other HCPL podcasts wherever podcasts are available. Thank you.